Hi, I'm Chris Barker. And I'm Will Betts, and this is the Music Tech My Forever Studio podcast, brought to you in partnership with Audient. In this podcast, we speak with musicians, DJs, engineers, and producers about their fantasy forever studio. The make-believe studio that our guests spec up today will be one that they must live with for the rest of time. But even in the world of Studio Foreverdom, we have a few rules. Yes, the rules. Our guests get to select a computer, a DAW and an audio interface. Those are free items that we let everybody choose. Then our guests will choose just six other bits of studio gear, plus one non-studio related luxury item. But... Yes! No bundles! <laughs> no bundles. No bundles. Choosing something sold as a package of separate software or hardware as a single item is not allowed. This time, we're joined by a legend of electronic music production and a master of sound manipulation. Yes, with a career that spans nearly 30 years, he's created landmark electronic music for labels like Ninja Tune and had his music featured in TV, film and video games. His shows have pushed the boundaries of live performance and he releases music under the pseudonyms Two Fingers, Stone Giants and many more. But what will his vast music career mean for his studio choices today? Well, let's find out. This is My Forever Studio with Amon Tobin. Welcome. Welcome. Hello. Good morning. Welcome. Good morning. <laughs> um, thanks for joining us today. So let's do a little leap from beginning to, to now quickly in your career. I mean, we're talking kit on this podcast. I mean, what were your first sort of explorations into electronic music making or, or music making generally? Did you, did you play instruments first and then, and then sort of dabble with electronic music or were you straight into electronic music? Oh, man. I, I started out with tape. So um, when I was about 13, 12, 13, I washed cars for a summer and I, I saved up for this twin cassette recorder thing. And that was the dream. That was the dream. I wanted to record the sort of top 40 that was playing on a Sunday and, uh, and make my own top 40 um, and then bring it to school. And then what I do is I I got more and more into that, but like you know it was a twin cassette thing, so I could do edits. And what I do is I take the top forty tracks, but then the parts of the songs I didn't really like, I take those out. So I ended up with this sort of like you know a sort of like distilled version of the top forty. And then that kind of went on, and I started just like editing the tracks more and more and more until it got to a sort of very collagey thing. I got really adept at the pause record, you know, the little um, shuffle you have to do with the cassette recorder thing, um, and that sort of led into like sampling in the 90s like like that was way later but there was a really sort of natural um little line to draw between one thing and the other you know from taking recordings manipulating them and that so that's really where it came from for me was, was I mean it's a, it seems natural to us now but like at the time how did you make that that mentally I mean a lot of people when they're in school tape the top 40 and, and things like that but like then getting to i guess you hit the limits of that tape machine you're like i want to do this how do i do this or, or were you looking at other artists that were doing it and started to do sampling and were you listening to sample music no 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 there was nothing even to do with music it was really just to do with editing like i, I wasn't trying to be a musician or listening to you know what people were doing with tape or samples. I had no idea any of the shit existed, honestly. Like, I, sure. I remember listening to Paul Hardcastle, 19, yeah. right, and just being like, that's so odd, the way that sound triggers the same every time 
You know what I mean? Like when he's like, no, 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 19, you know, and it was this, that thing. And it went on to listen to early hip hop and and the way all that stuff seemed so, it was strange. Like, you know, obviously you can go back to like the the Fairlight and all of that sort of stuff for, for sampling or Mellotron or whatever. But for me, my introduction to all of that was, was, sort of like late 80s well I guess mid to late 80s sampling and um, you know I didn't have a sampler I had a tape machine but it's essentially the same role it was playing of course well I mean and and with that in mind like how do you work now like are you sampling into sample type devices or you know plugins or are you or you using like that tape style you throwing stuff straight onto the the door timeline and and chopping it right right in front of you no, I mean I haven't sampled anything for a long time. So th- what happened was it, it it moved on, like it kept on moving and changing. So I started, if you imagine, with these big chunks, right? Like so, you sample the top forty, and then you make a song, and then you sample the song, and you make a different song out of it. And then by the time I was actually using samplers, I wasn't even. It was more like I was taking six or seven different drum solos from different uh, recordings and trying to make my own solo out of them. And then by the time like my second album came round, I was taking little grains of those samples and then reordering those. And it got to the point where the sort of point of origin of these samples didn't really matter. Yeah, Mm. it was just about creating something new sonically regardless of where where it was from you know what it was i tell you what where it really was was it was about sort of capturing the energy of a recording like a photograph if you think of those uh like you look at a sports f- photograph uh, someone in midair jumping and you can sort of you can tell what happened before and what's going to happen after but in that frozen moment you have all of the energy of both things encapsulated in that moment and that's more or less how I viewed sampling. Is it managed to trap the energy of something much bigger than its little component, you know, in that little capsule? And then when you recontextualize that and you put it amongst lots of other things that are pulling in lots of other directions, you end up with a really dynamic and interesting sound. And what I found is you can do that with smaller and smaller and smaller particles, and they'll still retain some energy of something before but you know all of that like I took sampling as far as I could take it and that was way back in the 90s and and then from then I went to like synthesizing the samples Mm. so I'd make field recordings and then I'd synthesize those and I'd turn them into waveforms and have a lot more sort of a liquid uh, um, property to them where you can pull them about in different ways you know um, that you can't really do with waveforms so yeah sampling's long gone for me but it's definitely informed uh, the way I make music I think that's got to be one of the best ways of explaining capturing sampling that photograph analogy is yeah my mind mm. went, <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was absolutely uh, I was, it was a perfect way of encapsulating it okay well Sorry, my mind's been blown, and that was amazing. That was such a great example of like why samples sound the way they do, even when you pull them right, right down to like that kind of granular level. Well, I'm, I'm sure like anyone who's like recorded sound and and 
listen to recorded sound understands that for whatever reason, like God knows how many people have tried to recreate like breaks, famous breaks, Bernard Purdy breaks or Eamon break or whatever. And you can play the same pattern, you can nail the swing, you can do all of that and it won't have, it won't sound the same. And the the reason it's it's not just to do with the equipment, it's not just to do with how it was recorded, it's really to do with the moment it was recorded in. So, you know, you can <laughs> you can analyze and deconstruct every element of that recording, but to recreate it is pretty much impossible. That that's why I think it's so powerful. In terms of moving to synthesis, because you basically if you're talking about taking it down smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller from a sample, you get to what, a granular level of synthesis is did you get into granular yeah. synthesis then or, or or what after that? I did. Yeah, I, I I did and it was a bit it was a strange sort of full circle because so much of the point of sampling is having a sense of where the sound came from to sort of appreciate what you're going to do with it what you've done with it what the new context for it is you need to have a reference point for where it came from so you lose that at a certain point when the sample's small enough when the grain is small enough it's irrelevant where the origin is but as I say, I still think it traps that little capsule of energy in it. And so it becomes almost an abstraction of where the, the, the origin is. But it still has, has that sort of intention somehow, I think, anyway. It's like I'm getting a bit cosmic, but I, I do feel that there is something about that that, yeah, it's kind of strange. Well, it's kind of what's taught with a lot of, you know, abstract painters and stuff. There's often very detailed accurate drawings beneath the abstraction isn't there and it's kind of a similar thing i guess um mm. nobody nobody is abstract immediately or not often anyway it usually comes from like a trained space of being able to sit, view the bigger thing and then break it down oh no you're completely right completely right yeah completely and when i did my show i i i paid a lot of attention to that actually because it was this like I remember being very conscious of having I, I, the show I'm talking about is a thing I did some time ago where there was a bunch of sort of morphing cubes on stage and they turn into different shapes and whatever then and the people I was working with doing the visualization stuff were talking a lot about all these abstract you know uh, forms and stuff and I was adamant that it had to start with something tangible so that you could then abstract from it because if you just start with a bunch of noise then nobody has any reference for wh what happened where's the magic in that you know you need to watch something transform from something recognizable an anchor point at first and i think you're absolutely right i think that that applies to all kinds of abstraction in any sort of medium yeah um, for sure yeah oh just on that point because i went to go and see isam twice i was so mind blown the first time I saw it I took an, another mate when it was when he was still doing it in in London and so I, I have a few questions about like because you're working with is it uh Excite Labs you're working with on that on the 3D projection mapping and all this oh it was a it was a bunch of people because you right. know I had the whole sort of concept and the, all the the storyboards and all of that but I, mm. I obviously I'm not like a I don't know how to make a, I don't know how to make projection mapping actually happen or any of that stuff so I had these amazing people that helped me realize the stuff I wanted to work with. Um, Vita Motus and V Squared were two of them. Oh, Leviathan as well. Um, 
people like Peter Sistrom and uh, Heather Short. Lots of people were involved in actually making it happen. And you were talking about turning it, turning these tiny grains into, and having the the narrative for the grains to for them to make sense in the context of the live show. So, did you start with the music, or did you start with the concept of what the visual would be? Where, what was that process like? Yeah, it was always the music because the show really only came about because I didn't have a way to perform the music. Right, hmm. I, I, um, as an electronic musician, I really don't see a place for myself on stage in general. I, I feel like. There's no reason to be on stage as an electronic musician, at least for me. So I had to find a way, because, you know, I, I, I'm not making dance music. Um, and so DJing doesn't really work. Um, and then I'm not playing in, with musicians. So being on a stage doesn't work. Like, why are you going to stand and watch me hunch over a laptop or whatever it is, that, you know, it, so the idea was to try and make us something that would represent what the music was doing visually um, in order to make something that was worth watching, right, as well as mm. hearing, hopefully. Um, so that was the thing. The whole thing was kind of like a sort of a solution to a puzzle. And it ended up being this uh, this whole thing that grew and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, but yeah, it was, um, it was really a sort of form-following function thing. How do I do this? You know, you underselling it so much. I just for anyone listening, this was one of the, this is one of the most formative musical experiences in my life, and you're just like, yeah, it's just a solution to a problem. <laughs> Delightful, love it. Oh, thank you. Uh, we should we should kick off the format. Let's kick off building this dream studio. Okay, so we're building your forever studio. So if you could have your studio anywhere in the universe, or the world, the universe, wherever, oh. where would you put that studio, and why? Uh, and you know, do you have it right now, or is it you know? You know, t tell us about your dream location. Oh man! Uh, all right. Well, look, all right. First of all, there's probably a big difference between my dream studio and my fantasy studio because okay. my dream studio would be some f fucking Bond villain lair, right? With a um, out some crazy floating room with all the best shit and very very. Uh, functional and clean and um, most importantly um, inaccessible so that no one can just drop round and no one could be like hey man I was in the area and like you know you musicians so it's cool right you know what I mean like I, it would just be like no you're here because you've been invited because we're working on something and that's it but my fantasy studio would be very different that would be First of all, in somewhere in the 1970s, um, probably like in Manhattan, and it would be a mess. It would be, you know, there'd be crime and, and there'd be a revolving door of interesting, colourful, eccentric characters that would come in and tell stories and make music. It would be a completely different thing, and we'd somehow make fantastic music in in amongst all of that but very different things i mean both are doable on on the on the my forever studio podcast so, i mean where do you want to base yourself are we going to go for 1970s manhattan or are we going to go for you wouldn't be the first to do the bond villain thing by the way that's been on the show before so uh yeah no doubt i mean that's that's the thing isn't it that's the dream oh you, you, you i don't know you're in the deep in the jungle in ecuador and you <laughs> 
in some pod floating over a river or something. I don't know. Look, I just, to be honest, I've... Uh, my dream studio is so... It's so functional, you know. It, I've always done so much with so little just because I had to. And I just... I don't buy into this whole thing of... I, of gear in general i know it sounds counterintuitive no you're gonna love the show you only get six choices so <laughs> that's cool i mean you don't need a lot of stuff um I, I i don't i don't know i i think uh i don't think the location matters i don't want any windows in my studio so i don't care where it is what matters is that it's quiet uh and nobody can get to it um because I don't want to be interrupted. Okay. Well, I think Bond Villain Jungle Floating Studio sounds pretty good. All right. You can always change your mind later. Let's let's lock that in and let's get to some some gear basics and we'll come back to it when right. when you start hearing this thing form you might change your mind a bit. So mm. so the first things we we let every guest pick is a computer, a DAW and an audio interface. Sky's the limit. Um I don't don't care i i I mean honestly like i i feel like all right i'd have a mac because that's what i know i'd have cubase because that's what i know and i i mean all the audio interfaces are so good now i i mean i feel like the i don't know i'm sure there's like some super clocking you know uh high point that i what are you running right now i'm just running a apollo uh 16 uh, x16 i think it is um mm-hmm. and it's fine <laughs> yeah i mean again it's uh it's a regular choice cubase though is um it's sort of not the most popular door for uh, a lot of people nowadays um mm-hmm. i love you steinberg but it's kind of true did you start on it and just never left or was it something that you that you you know have moved between yeah no i mean I tried, I mean, I when I went to other studios, it was always Pro Tools, and I just, I never liked the MIDI in Pro Tools. And, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, I mean, Logic, and, and that was cool too. I mean, I think they all have, Ableton I never got into. Um, I think it's probably by far the most powerful one now, but um, I kind of like not using it just because I I feel like the way you work, it's not dictated by your door, but it's informed by it. And if your information yeah. is similar to a ubiquitous, you know, choice, then you maybe might get a slightly more ordinary information into that. I don't know. You know what I mean? I just feel like... I, yeah, I would agree. I think, I think uh, with Cubase especially, like I've interviewed a lot of people that do use Cubase and it's always sort of people on the more alternative side I just I I think that it's I've watched it develop over the years and it still blows my mind how good it is it's so good and I don't know look I'm sure everybody says that about this the the shit they use it's that's why I don't think it matters that much I don't but I do really love it and I am impressed how it's been um, updated over the years and, and the improvements they've made to it and I I just yeah I don't I, I don't have any need to try uh, a, a different door honestly so should we uh do you want to lock in the UA the the 16 keep it as sure, it is okay yeah it's my dream 
Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, unless unless you've been to a studio and you thought this sounds great and you want to steal something from some somebody else's studio or somebody you know. Um, well, as I mean, for for IO, I, I I just like years ago there used to be this big difference, right? And I remember like Apogee and stuff was like, all right, let's go, but um, let's spend the the extra and stuff. But now. I do struggle to hear the, the the sonic difference between the different, you know, at a certain price point at least. Um, mm. And I could be really wrong about that. As I say, I'm not really a, a gear head, frankly. But I, I do, um, I do think they all, at a certain price point, sound pretty great. You know. Yeah. So that's fine. Well, that's what you've got so far, and nothing else. All right. In your floating time capsule in the forest bond villain layer uh-huh so now we get on to item number one of gear so what would be the first bit of studio gear to go in your dream studio is there something that you've always used throughout your career or, or something that you've always wanted that you've never been able to get hold of oh um well at the room i think would be the first thing if i could get a room designed by who's that scandinavian dude he did noises studio do you know who I'm talking about? It's like some... Check out Noisier's, Noisier's studio uh, online at some point. It's pretty amazing. Isn't he Dutch, that guy who designed it? Is Didn't he Dutch? He... I I don't know. It's like, a you know, it's like a glass cube or so. The, the speakers are in glass. It's kind of... It's insane. Yeah. The and, name is um, Thomas... I'm going to mispronounce this... Uh, Juan Jean of Northwood Acoustics. This is um, J O U A N J E A N for listeners at home. (laughs) Put that in the show notes. (laughs) But yeah, yeah, Yeah. that's what that's the first stop. Then I I want that guy to design my my room (laughs) because I think the room is so important. You know, I mean, you can put all kinds of great things in a terrible room. So if I can just start with that, and I don't know if you can call that, is that cheating? Well, I guess I guess with that, that's going to choose your speakers. Oh, sure. Well, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, yeah, he'd have to basically, because, you know, I'd just go with my K&H because I love my K&H speakers. Yeah. Um, yes. Although I guess they're called Neumann now, but um, mm-hmm. I had them when they were K&H. I would use those in a studio, but if this guy was designing the studio, he'd probably have something to say about that, and I'd I'd listen, you know. Do Neumann do installs, or Klein and Hummel do installs, or do they only do? You know, like soffit mounted ones. (laughs) I don't know. I guess this acoustic designer builds his own rigs, right? I think he does, or at least he he certainly has a say in what goes in the room. Well, say you can tell him to get some some of those Neumanns, the the KH, the biggest ones they do. I think the 420s would be the big, big ones. And yeah, get that, him to fit those in, that's the dream. Would that feel right? So you've at least got the family sound. How do you feel about that? That's great. I mean, that's what I have now, and I, I love those speakers. So to have a room that deserves them would be amazing. That's quite a good item, number one. That That's a bit of a hack as well. It's like you get your acoustics done and you get the... Uh, the Klein and Hummel's soffit mounted into the studio. That's it. I'm trying to be pragmatic about this. I'm building it from the ground up. <laughs> yes. Okay. So let's lock that in then, Will, and let's uh, let's move on to item number two of your your dream studio. What else would we see in there? Uh, I would love one of those new Neve desks. What are they? Is it the fifty eighty eight? I can't remember what it's called. 
what, the Rupert Neve Designs desk, was it? Yeah, Rupert Neve Designs. Yeah. I know that like a vintage one would be cooler and all of that, but I, you know, I use the Rupert Neve Designs stuff and I mm. really appreciate that it's not vintage. I, I love that they've taken all of the the great stuff about what makes what made their sound famous or what made Rupert sound famous and mm. made it kind of um less of a of a you're less locked into that and, and there's more to it than that. Um I don't know. I I just I, I'm all right with new gear. There are some things that I think need to be vintage, but I don't know if that's one of them. I don't know. But uh, yeah, I'd probably have a big old Rupert Neve Designs desk in there. So what's the model number on that, Will? That's the 5088. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. So uh, what is it about having a desk then in your setup? Why why do you need it for your workflow? Well, I don't need... Yeah, exactly. You think, well, it's just the luxury of having a separate compression and EQ yeah. as, as hardware on every single channel would be would be a dream you know um i think dead mouse has that he does and and i would love that do you know what i mean because i obviously it doesn't make sense to have a desk really unless you're working with a bunch of musicians and recording but this is the dream right so yeah yeah I'd absolutely have, yeah i'd have individual hardware channels for compression and eq I'm enjoying the fact that we don't have to upsell your dreams like we do so many other guests uh, who just go, well, I don't need that. Well, I don't need it. No, yeah. but I, this is a dream. It's a dream studio. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Let's move on to item number three. What else is going? What are we plugging into this, Neve? Well, how, how many instances of these things can we have? Got four items left. Yeah, you've got four items left. You've got your speakers, you've got your desk, and obviously oh, you get, you get your, your free stuff before. Uh, all right. Well, I, I guess I'd need, I'd need a fair child, um, for sure. <laughs> I guess I need a fair child. <laughs> I do. I need a fair child. I have one of those analog solution fair childs, and it's, it blows my mind how simple the good stuff is, how simple to use it is, not how simple it is, but. I understand why it's like everyone's like, oh, Fairchild, oh, you know, because it's just like, wow, everything downstream from there is so much easier because it just sorts it out and makes it beautiful. And then it's like, oh, I'm, I don't have to do anything to this afterwards. You know what I mean? You set it, it does its thing and off you go. So, yeah, a vintage one of those would be. So, so you've got a recreation at the moment. Did you say? Yeah, there's a guy called Analog Solutions. He's based in England. Or is this the Analog Tube uh, 670? It's Analog Tube. Yeah, oh, okay. Yeah. I know that. Yeah, so this is reasonably priced. As I mean, as reasonable <laughs> as you can possibly get when you're still using those ancient tubes. But yeah, exactly. They're amazing things, aren't they? They're beautiful. Beautifully they are, made. They are. It's a, real, it's a real piece of art in there under the hood and... And yeah, he went through a lot of trouble to get the tubes, you know, because I think that was the sort of bottleneck with it was finding the tubes again because they weren't manufactured. And anyway, whatever. I think of like, yeah, a real one of those would be would be great. I mean, a real one. This is a real one. It's beautiful. But yeah, a vintage one would be interesting to try. When Which, did they, would you when steal did they... a particular? Would you take a particular yeah. one? 
that had been used on particular recordings? Because, I mean, that's a very particular choice, considering sure. you don't have any any instruments yet. Well, I do record vocals and... Um, okay, and not in this studio, not yet. <laughs> not in this studio, oh, right, without the mic. I do need the mic. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think, um, sure, I'll take the one that Pink Floyd use, I guess. Um, that would be great. Uh, or the Beatles, obviously, maybe a Beatles one. I mean, you know, it seems like I have I have all the options in the world here, so why not? Yeah. Yeah, okay, perfect. That was good, Done. Will. That was well yeah. upsold, Will. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> the Music Tech My Forever Studio podcast is supported by Audion, makers of the Evo 16 and Evo SBA interface, as well as the Evo Expanded system. Yes, building on Audience 25 years of design heritage, the Evo range of audio interfaces and preamps provides stacks of I.O. and professional-level audio performance alongside innovative new features like Smart Gain and Motion UI designed to make recording easy and to enable you to focus on the creative process. And all of that is without breaking the bank. Yes, multi-channel Smart Gain means you can dial in microphone gain automatically for up to 24 microphones at once, and all in less than 20 seconds. Great for drummers or full band recordings. That's right, the Evo 16 interface serves up a massive 24 ins and outs, including 8 preamps with Smart Gain, and each SP8 provides another 8 intelligent Evo preamps, advanced ADDA converter tech, and a versatile range of I.O. connectivity, including two JFET instrument inputs. The Evo SP8 is designed to be the perfect partner for your existing audio interface and rounds out the Evo expanded system. Visit audient.com for more information and to explore the Evo expanded system. Item number four. Uh, I guess, Mike. Well, I do need a mic. All right, so the... Neumann M49 actually is what I, I'm recording on now. I do have a vintage one of these, and this is what I'm flexing here, but this yeah. is what's going on. It's a good, strong flex. I'm afraid that my favorite gear, <laughs> I don't have a lot of it, and I, I've got a few of these things, and I, I would take them with me. There's nothing else I'd want. I don't want a different because it's specific for your voice, I guess, right? Mm. And, um, and for my voice, this thing seems to be the right choice. So where did you discover that you sounded amazing on the the M49? What, <laughs> what was that scenario? I don't think I ever discovered I was sounded amazing. But I, I feel like this one at least <laughs> makes me feel like, you know, I could aspire to, to that. And it brings out, uh, you know, what it is, is I recorded this, this album in... Uh, at Capitol Records with Sylvia Massey. Do you know Sylvia Massey? Mm, yeah. No, yeah, she's great. Yeah, and she is like the god of microphones. She knows everything about every microphone. And she's got that museum as well, of course. The microphone museum she's working on. That's insane. That's right, exactly. And yeah. I knew nothing about microphones going into those sessions and she hooked me up with one of those uh and well it was a replica in the studio but it sounded great and it was that yeah. with a i can't remember what compressor it wasn't the army man was it i don't remember there's a picture of it somewhere but she had a yeah she had a pretty good chain going on and and she was like yeah now we'd been through a bunch of different mics tried a whole bunch of different ones and this was the one she was like oh no this is the one 
And so, yeah, when I found, I, I found one, um, just happened to find one going for sale and I snapped it up, um, figured right. I'd only ever buy one microphone. And uh, so that's the one I take with me. Yeah. Nice. And what was that record you were recording with her? I was Figueroa. It's called Figueroa. It's like a, it's an electronic folk record. So if you imagine, mm. it's not me trying to make a folk record. It's me trying to make an electronic record through the lens of of folk music. So all the guitars are synthesized. They're synthesized mm. guitars, and my voice is the only natural thing on there. Um, everything else is is in sort of invented. Um, and the guitars are doing things that guitar players can't really do because they don't have enough fingers. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just, so that that's kind of the, the thing. And they sound a bit odd. And it's just, it's a really bizarre and interesting record, I, I think. That's an interesting uh, faux pas you've made there that guitarists at home might be going, ah, oh. you know, when they listen to somebody who's written guitar for and they don't play guitar to have too many fingers down. It's like when you're programming drums and a drummer listens to it, and they're like, no one could play that, mate. No one could play that. <laughs> There's always somebody that can, though. There's always somebody that can. <laughs> well, I've never heard anyone play the Amen in reverse. You know, there's things that... The whole point of, I think, synthesizing stuff is to do things that the instrument can't do. Because otherwise, um. learn how to play a guitar. Learn how yeah. to play the drums. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing wrong with those sounds. They're perfect. Although, isn't the, uh, isn't the bass solo in the middle of Call Me Owl a guy with a volume pedal? It's not actually re- re- reversed. The guy learned to play it to sound reversed. Oh, that's clever. I don't know. I don't know. So he used like a volume pedal to take the attacks out, I think. Because it was that's it was reversed originally, and then the guy said, oh, I'm going to learn how to play it. Uh, that that might be kind of you know folklore studio session folklore but like yeah. i like the idea of learning with a volume pedal i do too yeah i think that's really interesting i just don't think there's there has to be a crossover or like a one no. or the other mm. i don't the point i i just feel like too much sort of electronic and synthesized music is aspiring to sound like a sort of budget version of what real instruments do and i think that's a mm. terrible yeah it kind of defeats the point it's the same with plugins i, I thought that for a while like there's a lot of plugins or there was there was kind of this fetish for plugins just looking and having the same exact features of analog equipment oh my god and it'd be like if they could make the analog equipment have a wet dry control they would have but you know there was some manufacturing cost or whatever but like on your plugin put that on yeah put these tools on that we want when you can have infinite yeah anyway and stop putting like little stupid dials that you have to rotate with your mouse (laughs) On a fucking plug-in. Like, what is yeah. happening? You know, I, I don't know. Yeah. I'm hearing not a fan of skeuomorphic design, then. Is <laughs> yes. that what we're getting? I, I just don't understand what, what... I mean, I do. I guess it's a marketing thing, but, yeah, if you yeah. spend any real time with any of this stuff, you really realise you don't need a chipped paint on your plugins <laughs> To make it authentic. Oh, my God. Yeah. 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 What they should build in. Okay, plugin manufacturers, if you're listening, I want my plugins to rust over time and to degrade <laughs> <Right>. visually like <laughs> the ones in my studio. That's when I know I've got UAD, that's when I know the plugins are really good when they you start getting like the kind of patina uh, rack rash around around the things and you're like, Oh that's that's been plugged in and yeah. out too many times. 
you know. It's such a transparent, just like marketing bullshit. It's such this whole fetish, fetishization is I can't say that word, but that fetish yeah. of you know the the object, and uh, I I understand it, but yeah, it is a bit mad. Recreating a fetish is like no, you know, don't. I mean, either get involved and go buy, a, you know, or, yeah, it should be hard to find and it should be, you know, difficult to work with and unpredictable and all of those things, but you don't build those into a recreation. Let's <laughs> <laughs> build in those inconveniences. Into a- I do now like the idea of going to somebody's studio though and they open the plug-in and it looks really old and you go, oh, you've had that installed for a long time. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah, I know. There's a history to this plugin. Yeah, a, there's a history to this plugin. It looks worn out. One of your knobs has fallen off your plugin. Yeah, yeah. We right. still works, but the uh, the knobs come off. Uh, that was the, the, the Hendrix session. That's what happened. We just we just left it. Yeah, exactly. Okay, well, let's move on to what's that? Item number five now, Will. Item five. Okay. What? Uh, so I need. I've got a microphone, a compressor, and a desk. Seems a bit too too much. Com- and some speakers. Some speakers. Too much compression probably already. Uh, <laughs> or I, I guess, you know, these are going to be really boring because there's a reason why everyone chooses the same stuff because it's really good. And yeah, I'd have a Poltec EQ. Um, I have a recreation of that in my current studio, but I'd get a, a real authentic old vintage one with chipped paint for my studio. Or oh, a pair of them. I would need a pair of them. So is that two of mine? That is that oh. is a bundle. Oh, hang on. But wait, 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 wait. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, got to air horn you there, Eamon. Sorry, oh, that's part of the rules. That's so harsh. There's not a sort of a, a rare stereo version. Uh, I'm looking for one now. Yeah. Ooh. We have a manly stereo Pultec EQ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a different thing. It's really good, but it's a different thing. Um, no, I'd need to take up two of my slots with two Poltex, I'm afraid. So that's, but that's now it. That's everything. You don't have any instruments. It's just your voice. <laughs> uh, oh, two Poltec no. EQs. It's one of the most renegade moves we've seen on the show today. <laughs> There's one more item, Well, after There's this. There's a luxury item, but it can't be audio gear. Oh, you mean if he goes for two Poltex as the last two? Yeah, that is quite renegade, actually. There <laughs> Well, well, that'd be close to the Matthew Herbert. Matthew Herbert was on and did it in four items because he hated the idea, I think, of of having all the luxury stuff. So he went full punk Mm -hmm. and rejected all the gear. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, well, that's fine. I I, I think I could live with a luxury item of um, a Buchler easel and that would be all my instruments. You're not allowed a studio item as your luxury item, though. That's the rule. That, that's, oh. the, that's the that's the snag, yeah. Do you want to switch out one of your Pultex for the Buchler Music Easel? Uh, well, then there's no point really having... Well, I guess there is. I could still... <laughs> mm. Well, then, all right. I love how happy, happy-go-lucky this podcast always starts with people and then it becomes this, like, trauma at the end when they're trying I'm to... I'm very... I, I'm not happy about my life choices here. <laughs> Do you want to go back and change anything out? Do you want to re- revise any of your choices here? Well, look, I tell you what I'll do is I'll go for a Shelford EQ. I'll go for a Rupert Neve Design Shelford EQ uh, 
instead of the Poltec because that's got a beautiful EQ on it. And and it's stereo. Well, oh no, I do need two of those. Oh, God damn it. All right, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. I guess, okay. uh, yeah. All right, so we'll go with a manly pa- massive passive for um, the EQ instead, and that's stereo. And then I can actually make some sounds with my bootlet easel and I'm set. Okay. Right. Okay. Well, so before we get to the luxury item, sorry. Let's we'll... talk about that. Let's talk about that music easel then. Because yeah. I know you threw that in the last minute, but what's your history with the music easel? It's not that long, but I do feel that it's the thing that just seems the most endless in terms of possibilities for me for like for one singular item by itself and i guess in this context that's what i'm thinking about so i think you know like you imagine yourself dropped on an island somewhere with a thing and i feel like that would amuse me for the longest period of time is it the west coast style of synthesis that you're drawn to rather than having something a bit more traditional uh, no, it's not really that. I mean, I, I'm a fan of both West and East Coast styles. It's really, I'm trying to be practical. And this thing, it has a sequencer in it. It has a five-step sequencer in it, which I really like, which mm-hmm. is odd. It has mm. just about what everything you might need in there um, to be self-contained, but still interesting. I mean, I think the only other thing that, that does that for me is a subharmonic and a moog subharmonic and going east coast um just because mm-hmm. of a sort of self-encompassed odd machine that's unpredictable actually has a really beautiful sonic quality to it no matter what you do honestly um mm-hmm. but also has endless possibilities you know limitations too like very very limited in its own ways but um but yeah i i think that would be my that would be my band. I, I had no idea that it was this West Coast, East Coast modular thing. Do they get on? Yeah. They, they, it's not like Biggie and Tupac. It's, they, they collaborate <laughs> there. It's fine. Yeah, I, I mean, they do. It's, it's a technical difference, really. So if you listen in, we'll just do you a, a nice rundown of, of what you've selected and paint a picture of this Fantasy Forever studio, and then we'll talk about your luxury item before we close up the show. So um, have a listen to this and see what you think. Go ahead, Will. You're in a Bond villain lair with a floating room. It's completely inaccessible deep in the jungle with no windows. So it's quiet and there's no visitors. The room is designed by Thomas Joanjin. Your computer is a Mac Pro, I guess, the biggest one there is. Your interface is your Apollo X16. And for your DAW, you've chosen Cubase Pro 12. Your first item is a pair of Neumann KH420G monitor mains. Your second item is a Rupert Neve Designs 5088 console with the Shelford EQ installed. Your third item is the Fairchild from the Beatles with a little bit of rack rash and a a small amount of patina on it (laughs) from the years of constant use. Your fourth item is a vintage Neumann M49 Item five is a manly massive passive EQ, and your sixth item is a Buckler music easel. How does that work? I've done more with less. That's all right. I think I can live with that. 
<laughs> well, Will, you tried your best. <laughs> let's talk about the luxury item. Let's let's zing up yep. the studio with a luxury item. Like, is there, is there anything you've you've taken from studio to studio that isn't a bit of gear or whatever? I mean, you've moved around a bit in your career, and um, is there anything that you've you've often go found? You know, when the removal men are coming in, that goes in the studio. Do you know what I what I miss? I I used to have a fully functioning fireplace in the studio I had up in northern San Francisco, in northern California. Um, and I really miss it. It was terrible to have in a studio, of course. Imagine all the dust and the <laughs> sparks and whatever. But it was the best thing. I loved it so much. And um, I think I'd somehow have our friend, is it Juan Juan? Um, engineer a fireplace, a working fireplace that would work in that room. That is a nice. That's a nice choice, actually. Yeah. So was that when you were um, around Skywalker? Is that was it that era? Yeah, I was. Yeah, that's right. We were neighbours. Yeah. A fireplace in the studio. We've never had that actually. It's quite nice. That's quite yeah. a nice choice. Yeah, there's probably a reason. There's probably a very good reason why that doesn't turn up in studios. But, and I can imagine why. Well, I mean, we've had 127 feet waterfalls in the studio. <laughs> so, oh, all right. Yeah. So I think, that, you know, I mean, and, you know, these things can get quite... It's fairly conservative, okay. Yeah, really. so it's yeah. quite it's quite a chill, but it's nice and it fits in the in the layer kind of vibe. Just yeah. like that's the only so, way people would know you were there in the forest. They'd just see some little smoke coming out from beyond glow. the treetops. Distant yeah. glow. Yes. <laughs> So what's the what kind of fireplace are we talking? Is it ornate? Is it um austere? What what does it look like? Is it sort of Bond villain-esque or No, it's not modern, it's just a big old black cast iron fireplace with, with wood. It's mm. not one of those turn the gas on and, and flames come up. It's like, you know, someone's chopped wood, they've brought it in and it's mm. uh and it's really nice wood. It's like apple wood or something, so it smells great. Ooh. Yeah, I've thought this through, guys. And so, do you have the same fetish that George Lucas has about having wood with no knots in it? Wood with- are we allowed to have knots in the wood? <laughs> Is that true, Will? <laughs> That's true. I, what are you? What do you mean he doesn't want knots in the wood? He at Skywalker Ranch. You know the the, the main house up at the top of the ranch mm. in the sort of veranda area. He had specially selected all the wood to not have any knots in it. So it, it's, ma- it's maple, but it looks like plastic. There's no knots. It doesn't look like wood. Are you sure they weren't winding you up? Because I remember I'm when I was going around there, someone at some point told me that the deer were animatronic and for a minute they, they had me going. <laughs> oh no, have I been completely stitched up by the start? Maybe you've been stitched up. I reckon I have. I totally have, I'm like. <laughs> yeah. No, you might be right. I mean, it's crazy there, right? So yeah, I mean, any, I'd believe almost anything. So what other weird stuff did you get up to when you were over there? Because you spent a bit of time there, didn't you? I Well, it was great because I, I knew some of the sound designers there and, and they'd, uh, they'd screen movies at their little, they had a, a private cinema in there uh, and it's be- mm. have you have you been in there? You must have been in there in the cinema. I, I have seen it. Yeah, it's extraordinary. Yeah, it, isn't it? The cinema, yeah. yeah, it's divine. Yes, and um, we'd go and we'd watch uh, movies on a Monday. They'd play, 
you wow. know, things like, uh, I don't know, old movies. I, w- I watched The Alien there. And I actually went to, to what, this is crazy, but when Avatar came out, they were like, oh, yeah, this Monday's a bit special. You should definitely come around. So I went over there and and James Cameron and George Lucas were there. What? And they were talking about the film and, like, you know, and it was just, like, a really small room of people watching. I guess what they do is they watch the film before it goes to be distributed, obviously, because they work mm-hmm. on all the sound, you know, obviously, like to, to infinitum, and then they get to hear it in the way that they made it before it gets destroyed by all the horrific sound systems of all these, you know, <laughs> yeah. these terrible theatres. Um, so, yeah, I think it's it's like a sort of final like oh my god after all my hard work i get to actually see what i've done kind of thing it's quite nice yeah it must be nice for them to do that yeah amazing well um i think i think we're coming to the end of time now not the end of time oh no the end of our time with you (laughs) wow chris big announcement (laughs) that would be a shock wouldn't it (laughs) i thought i had so much more to do all right this is great hey thank you both very much i appreciate it and uh i I, i'm gonna struggle with these choices i've made and and i I might have to call you and make alterations later yeah send send us an email and uh yeah do some amendments and we'll put them in the show notes for weeks afterwards yeah i'll just keep emailing you with that wait i've held on yeah okay well, all that's left to say is thank you so much, Eamon Toby, for joining us on the podcast. It was an absolute pleasure. And, uh, yeah, we loved your choices. And thanks so much for giving us a little insight. Um, before you go, actually, let's tell us what's what's going on for you for the rest of the year. Like, um, tours, music, what's what's happening? I'm, I'm, I'm recording, recording, recording. I've got, um, basically, I've set up this label called No Mark Records, where it's a vehicle for all mm. my, for all my different musical output. And um, and I very foolishly decided to, to make a subscription thing called No Mark Club, where where <sighs> these very lovely people sign up, but then I have to make new music for them every month. And um, oh, wow, wow! And it's not a chore as I'm making it sound. It's just that I really feel like it, I I feel like it has to be really good because they really they. Mm. Do you know what I mean? When somebody's like, yeah, it's different to when you release music and you're just like, oh, I hope people like it. When you mm. do something for people who've like subscribed to your thing, you really mm. want them to have the best. You, could, you know what I mean? It's like, all right, yeah. you've, you've mm. invested it. You've literally invested in me. So I feel this obligation, you know, to really step it up all the time. And so, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm doing that uh, a lot. And it's, it's uh, yeah. Just making music, man. Just trying to learn about sound, making music. That's what I've always done. Wow. So, and can people subscribe now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is a, a, a plug for my club. Yes, people can subscribe. Subscribe now. Only yes. twenty-four hours left. So. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, they can. Yeah. So I didn't want to pile on the pressure, but yeah, subscribe. <laughs> yeah, definitely do. There's one out at the moment as we're recording this, and that's one that you uh, worked on as Two Fingers with one of the members of Noisier. Is that how did that come about? Oh, yeah. Well, we we've done a lot of stuff together over the years. You're talking about Tice, right? Hmm. I am. Yeah. Yeah. So we 
we've done all kinds of odd things together. Some some of them nothing to do with like club music, which is really interesting too, right? Because Two Fingers mm. is is known for that, and so is Noisy, mm. obviously. So we mm. we set off and did things like the Ithaca EP, which are just like ambient. We call them ambient bangers. They're just like you know sounds yeah. and and whatever you know. That's just not what you'd imagine. Uh, we made a. God, we made another record which was just like romantic songs, um, and I can't even remember what we called that. But yeah, that's on No Mark as well. <laughs> so yeah, I, I mean, yeah, we've done a lot of stuff, and and for for the, the subscription thing, I'm not doing collaborations yet. I'm really doing just my own my own music for that. But it's it's a really wide range of everything from really experimental to you know, songs and beats and all kinds of stuff. And how do you decide which name each thing goes under? Are you just making music and then you go, oh, that's more of this kind of sound or that's more of this kind of sound? What what does that look like? Um, I, I always try and sort of uh, underscore that I'm running all the, like I've got five aliases and they all run in parallel. So it, it, um, mm. I'm very conscious that, you know, people who aren't particularly involved in what I'm doing might think oh now he's doing this and oh now he's doing and it's it's really not like that it's like I'm doing all those things but all at the same time in perpetuity right so Two Fingers has been running now for I don't know since 2005 I think um, mm. uh, Only Child Tyrant for the last four years um, same with Figueroa I mean I made the first Figueroa record like almost 10 years ago and I just didn't release it for, for years and years I was working on it um, so you know these things just all develop in tandem with each other and and when I make something for I don't know like Stone Giants for example I have in mind what that character is because I've developed that character quite, in quite some detail over the years um, mm. but they all yeah they all cross over too like it's all electronic music right so that's the sort of common denominator it's all electronic music amazing very cool well thank you so much for your time Eamon it's been absolutely fascinating talking to you yeah, really has thank you so much again <laughs> yes. alright guys thank you take care well well Eamon Tobin how amazing was that some big thinking at the start as well I kind of almost felt a bit a bit gutted that we had to build a fantasy forever studio I wanted to talk big things about abstraction at the start but um amazing i feel like we really managed to race through the the show format and then actually get to the chat which is <laughs> which i rather liked but, the, but still the good. studio is great good. it was Fantastic like you studio. know I, and i wouldn't have been able to predict that actually i thought it was going to have a lot more sort of synthesis sampler kind of gear you know like more like sound making gear rather than yeah. sound processing gear like sound generating gear rather than like traditional audio engineering equipment yeah, but I guess we're talking about the smallest grain that you can possibly make. You can make a grain of sound with your voice and then manipulate it endlessly until it turns into something else. But um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And ending with a fireplace. How lovely. Well, you know, I always appreciate a chat about George Lucas's wood fetish. <laughs> However real or not real it might be. <laughs> it, it, that is 100% a fact. <laughs> a man told me. <laughs> with the animatronic deer as well. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's unreal. I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll go with that. So all that's left to say is thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time for more adventures into Studio for Everdom. 
goodbye. Bye-bye.